Welcome to the Maximus Podcast with your hosts, Joe Sabula and Bobby Maximus. Today's episode is sponsored by Lalo Tactical, L-A-L-O.com. Use the code Maximus50 for a discount on Maximus Shoes. Maximus Shoes are guaranteed to make you stronger, more ripped, um, better at your job, better at your love letter, at everything. Stanford can back this up with numerous scientific studies. We're also served by 10,000, 10,000.cc. Use the code Maximus15 for a discount training apparel around and i am super excited joe is super excited uh to someone that i have a personal connection to on the podcast the lovely the wonderful the brilliant melissa urban melissa how are you hello i'm really good rob how are you doing it's nice to see you yeah you too um i want to get right into it because we've got a lot to talk to you about but it's it's kind of amazing to me to watch who you've grown into and what you've made with yourself and the whole 30. I remember, I was talking to Joe about this earlier. I remember when we used to train together and I would make you do horrible IWTs and workouts and you used to curse me out and, and hate me. But I remember the work that you were putting in. You used to go from CrossFit gym to CrossFit gym. You were traveling every week. You were making incredible sacrifices to build what you have now. And I think a lot of people look at it from the outside as an overnight success, but this has been brewing for how many years have you been working on this? 10? Ele- yeah, 10, 12? 11 years. Yeah, 11. So yeah. Yeah, it's been an 11 year overnight success. Yeah. Dude, she's <laughs> like 11 years, four months, five days. <laughs> and it just, it's so incredible to me because I remember the struggles that you were going through to build this brand. Can you tell us a little bit about how you built up the whole 30? and how you got to here? Yeah, so in 2009, it was the first kind of self-experiment, the two-person self-experiment with my co-founder and I. And I was working full-time for an insurance company at the time. I was doing really well. I managed three different teams and three different offices. Um, and we were running kind of Whole30 on the side as a hustle. So I had this CrossFit training blog. We were traveling every weekend to do seminars to 20 or 30 people in various CrossFit gyms. And we ran them side by side for about a year before you kind of had to either like jump into the momentum we had built because I was doing both jobs poorly at this point and I couldn't maintain the schedule. So we decided to quit our jobs and take Whole30 on the road full time. My co-founder and I weren't yet married, but we were in a relationship and the marriage happened a couple years later and, you know, spent like the first two years mostly doing seminars and workshops, talking to a hundred people at a time, giving information away for free on our blog until the first book came out in 2012. And that was really the first opportunity we had to like share the message of the whole 30 with the masses and things kind of took off a little bit faster after that but you're talking about three years of just grinding of giving tons of stuff away for free figuring out what worked and what didn't via these workshops you know traveling on our own dime um, not making any money if we took a couple weeks off because the primary you know income source we had was workshops so we spent a couple years just like figuring it out and building our community Yeah. And there's a lesson in that. I actually used you as an example to somebody else the other day, just about being willing to do the work no one else is willing to do. Like you had a lot of sleepless nights. You put a lot of miles on the credit card, if you will. You were doing stuff that others weren't willing to do. And to me, it's no wonder you're one of the most successful people in the world 
in the industry that you're in, but from the outside, people think it's just going to happen to a younger person out there that wants to be you or wants to do what you're doing. What's the number one piece of advice you, you give them? Like, is it something simple, like don't quit? Or is it just, you've got to be you know willing to jump in with both feet and go for it? I've already said it twice, but the biggest piece of advice I give to people is you have to give a lot of things away for free in the beginning. It is how you find your voice. It's how you build your content. It's how you build a community and foster that loyal connection. It's how you test out material. You know, we did blog posts and workshops for years before we had enough material and we knew it was solid enough for me to be able to write a book. So, you know, in the beginning, I think it's really natural for people to want to like have a product and sell it or become a cult consultant and sell it. But like, you can't be a good trainer, a good author, a good entrepreneur, unless you have a really good product and a fiercely loyal community who are invested in that product. And like, you're not going to get that unless you're giving a lot of stuff away in the beginning. Yeah. And you're still giving stuff away, right? Like, I mean, one of the things I love about your Instagram and about your webpage is you're constantly giving useful information to people. Like it's everywhere. You know, I almost feel like I don't have to buy the book or, you know, buy the program to learn about it. You're still doing that. Yes. The whole 30 is available for free. The entirety of the program, a ton of free resources, a forum, Instagram, social media, newsletters. You don't actually have to buy anything but the food you eat in order to do the program. And that's always been the case. And it's because we want the program to be as accessible as possible. And what I've discovered is that if you really focus on the community and create resources for them, then they will want to support you. So when I have my like eighth cookbook come out, all of people that say like, I don't need any more Whole30 recipes, but I love Whole30 and I want to support what you're doing and they'll buy it. So, you know, focusing on community first has been like a huge strategy for us, not even as a business strategy, but just as like, this is how we want to build our business is focused around them. Wow. Now, when it comes to the Whole30, I actually want to talk more about you and learning like what makes you tick because you're brilliant, you've done well. And I think you've got a lot of great advice to give people. For people that don't know what the whole 30 is, how would you describe it to people or how would we sell it? Yeah, so I, I describe the Whole30 as a 30-day reset for your health, habits, and relationship with food. So it's not a weight loss program. It's not a diet. It's not a cleanse. It's not a quick fix. You know how every dietitian in the world says, like, there's no one-size-fits-all approach. You have to figure out what works for you. Whole30 is how you figure out what works for you. So it's a 30-day elimination followed by a reintroduction period, super carefully spelled out, very black and white rules that teaches you how various foods impact you so that you get to make your own decisions about what works for you going forward. Okay. And it's become fairly famous. Like I've seen it on TV shows. I've seen it mentioned in pop culture, but with that, there is a certain amount of, and I'll tell you, honestly, I've had to check myself a couple of times when people say, mean things about it online because I'm defensive of you, of course. Um, I want to jump in and yell at them. And I'll tell you, you know what I'm like. I'm not exactly the diet guy. I eat Doritos. I drink beer sometimes. But your, I don't even want to call it a diet. The Whole30 is really the only thing I recommend to people. I, you'd be shocked how many times I've lent out the book you gave me to people in my gym. Like, just read this, do this. This is perfect for you. Um, how do you feel about the amount of, I guess, hate it gets? Because you're successful. And with that comes all this other garbage 
does it bother you? Do you take it personally or are you kind of, you know, proud of it because you know, you've made it now because you've got haters, if you will. <laughs> it's kind of not kind of none of those. I would say, I think much like a game of telephone, the farther your message grows, the more likely you are to have some dissonance in that message. So, you know, me talking to you, I can explain it really clearly, but like when your, you know, brothers, sisters, hairdressers, cousin hears about it, all of a sudden the message is diluted. So I think there are a lot of really common misconceptions about the program. Like, it's a weight loss diet, like it's supposed to be how you eat forever, or that it's, you know, overly restrictive. Um, And I try to correct those misconceptions when I can. It's also not for everyone, you know, not everyone likes the idea of a 30 day elimination style approach. It's not right for people who have a history of eating disorders or disordered eating. And so, you know, I I don't try to make it for everybody. Um, I don't get offended if you say it's not for you. I certainly don't take it personally. That doesn't say anything about me or the whole 30. It just means it's not the right approach for you. I feel like I have enough people in my community who are interested in the program and who want my help. And like, that's where I focus. If it's not for you, like, I'm not going to try to convince you. That's not my job. Are there people who do it a lot longer than 30 days? Because I feel like it is a lifestyle for some people. And by the way, as a, what I call sustainable health fueled nutritional way of being, I think it's one of the best. Like if you could follow whole 30 for your entire life and you'd be an extremely healthy person. You could in that you're eating real whole nutrient dense food. It's meat, seafood, eggs, lots of vegetables and fruit, natural, healthy fats. Like there's no calorie counting. There's no calorie restriction. There's no pills or powders or shakes. Like it's real food for 30 days. So you could do it forever technically. Um, And there are people who do it for longer than 30 days. If you have an autoimmune condition or some kind of like medical symptoms that you're trying to get to the root of, you may continue the program for longer. But the whole point of the Whole30 is to get you to what we call food freedom. This place where you've used the program to identify what foods work for you and what foods don't. And then you take that information to create your own perfect diet that sometimes includes Doritos and sometimes includes beer and sometimes includes pizza or Cadbury cream eggs if they're worth it for you. So I don't want people to follow the Whole30 forever because that's not freedom. Eating according to my rules forever is not freedom. I want you to take the program, learn how foods impact you, and then use it to make conscientious, deliberate decisions about your own food based on what you know is worth it and what works for you. Where did your confidence come from in that regard? Because I'll tell you another thing I've said about you repeatedly. The thing I respect most about you as a teacher and an educator is you're not scared to just say, I ate the donut because I wanted it. You don't feel the need to make up an excuse. It's a lot of dietary people, in my opinion, will eat a donut and they'll try to tell you there's some science in a cheat day or they're trying to hyperactivate the mitochondrial biogenesis of ATP and they come out with something to justify their their quote-unquote bad behavior when food shouldn't be bad or good you're just like I, I remember sitting with you one day and you ate a donut and I'm like you're allowed to eat that you're like no I wanted the fucking donut like this is what I there's no trick there's no catch where did that confidence come from is that just believing in your stuff is it is it something that your parents taught you no, it's not. It's, it came from like, you know, five or six Whole30 experiences where I eliminated certain foods, brought them back in, 
realized through that experience that some foods really don't work for me. Dairy, ice cream, like you'll never see me eat ice cream because I just, I don't like it enough and it's not worth it the way that it affects me. The occasional donut, the occasional Cadbury cream egg, hot butter popcorn, like whatever, those things I figured out, I can get away with them once in a while and they don't cause me really negative symptoms and I really enjoy them from time to time. So, you know, I think unpacking the morality around food, as you just said, the idea that there's no food that's good or bad, that you're not good or bad based on what you put on your plate, really identifying the way that the diet mindset had influenced me in my earlier years and just deciding to like give that up. And that's not how I wanted to think about food going forward. And then like, I guess just going through the experience of like reintroducing something, you know, was it worth it? Was it not worth it? And then moving on from that, I think it's just been like, you know, seven or eight years of my own personal Whole30 experiences that led me to this idea of like, if I want it and it's worth it, I eat it. There's no guilt or shame around it. I don't adjust the rest of my food habits. And, you know, I say yes, just as often as I say no. Is there something that's worth it to you that makes you feel horrible? Like, would it be homemade gelato from Italy? Would it be like, is there a food that you know will mess you up for a few days, but is absolutely worth it? Yeah, it's a combination of gluten and sugar for me. That's what like crushes me the most. But my mom makes this chocolate chip walnut cake that I've had since childhood. It uses a full cup of Crisco, like straight up Crisco. But when she makes it, I absolutely eat it. And it definitely leaves me like bloated and unhappy and lethargic for a day or two. And it's 100% worth it. Cause like, that's my mom's cake. I like it. Yeah. Beyond eating, you all have a really lifestyle terms train a lot. Like, I feel like following you on Instagram and I know you, so I know what you do behind the scenes, but just on Instagram, it seems you're in the gym. You're on the every damn day, Bobby Maximus program. But I'm not, I'm not though. So see, when I trained with you, I, I was already a hard worker. And when I trained with you, I definitely learned the mental aspect of working hard, what it meant to like actually push myself hard. And then if you recall, when I was done training with you, I did nothing but yoga for six months because I was going through a really stressful period in my life and I couldn't train that hard. What I figured out through my years of CrossFit and my years of training with you was that I had the capacity to train as much as I had the capacity to recover. So I train right now quite a bit and I'm pretty active, but I only train as hard as I can recover from. So I take plenty of rest days. There are plenty of days where I'm in the gym for 90 minutes, but it's like mobility, it's skill work. I'm not pushing it super hard. I might hike for 10 miles, but it's a pretty simple pace. Like it's a pretty easy pace for me. And I consider that active recovery, not a workout. So it looks like I work really, really hard, but I'm always very careful about making sure I match my training with my recovery and I'm super dedicated to my recovery practices. So basically what you're saying for you, it's a real lifestyle then. It's like almost like brushing your teeth. You something you do every day, but you're not obsessive with it. You're not crushing yourself. You're not getting after it. You're just, you're doing the thing because it's what you do and you love it. If you go hard, easy, that's great too. Do you use your activity as a way to meditate. I noticed that you call your hikes church. Yeah, I do. Um, I know lo- I definitely used to, and no longer use exercise as a form of punishment. So that's like not in my re- repertoire at all. If I'm in the gym moving, it's because I love it. I live, I, f- love getting up in the morning and moving. I love going for my hikes. I meditate at the end of every workout. So that is part of my normal process. And then hiking is, yeah, I call it church because I feel like I usually am out there by myself. It's quiet. Um, It's where I kind of let 
things ruminate. It's where I feel like I can drop the stress. I open myself up to like connection with the universe. And um, I definitely get grounded during those hikes. So moving, is, it definitely is a lifestyle. It definitely is just like something I do. If I can't train for a little while because my schedule is busy or something, I don't freak out about it. And I don't like, it's not a big deal. Um, I just get back to it when I can. But yeah, it definitely is. Um, it's a really good thing for my mental health, but not in a negative way. Not like, ooh, if I can't have it, I lose my mind. But just in a like, when I do it, it makes me feel really good. Is hiking something you always loved or did Salt Lake City do that to you? So I liked it when I lived in New Hampshire, I did do some hiking, but it wasn't until I moved to Salt Lake. And then specifically, it wasn't until I started going through like my divorce and really felt like I needed time by myself and like time to sort of ground that I started taking to the mountains. So, you know, it's probably 2000. Oh, I don't know. It's been 10 years since I've lived here. So probably for the last six or seven years or so, I've been an avid hiker year round. And now it's something I do like as often as I can. Wow. So listening to you, I think you're the most put together person ever. Smart. You run a business. <laughs> you're, a, you're a great mom. You meditate, you hike, you got a good balance um, in everything. But it wasn't always like that. And one of the things I admire about you is your courage to share some hardships you've been through. You talked about when you were younger, there was some drug addiction, uh, there was body image issues. Um, there was a lot of stuff you went through. Was it hard for you to share that? Or was that uh, you know, easy to share at that point because you were sharing so much with the whole 30 community? Was it part of your healing process because you've grown up a lot and changed a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, it was definitely never easy. I, the first thing I kind of started talking about publicly was my drug addiction and recovery. And I started talking about that in the early days of Whole30 because I recognized that if I was going to stand up here and talk to people about what it's like to feel out of control with food and how to address your emotional relationship with food. And people looked at me. I've never been overweight. I've always been pretty fit they're going to look at me and say like, you have no idea what it's like to feel out of control. And so I started talking about my drug addiction because from a psychological perspective, drugs and food are not that different. I know what it's like to feel out of control with something, to overconsume, to hate myself for it, the guilt and the shame and the sense of isolation that it brings, the cycle, you know, that you get stuck in. Like, I know what it's like. So I started talking about that as a way to kind of connect with the whole 30 community. And I discovered that the more I talked about it, the more it helped me lose the guilt and shame around it, the more free I felt to um, kind of unpack some of this like in therapy and with my family. And then I noticed that because I was using my voice, other people felt like they had permission to use theirs and they were connecting and opening up about it. And so over the years, I've come to realize that like I have a platform, I have a voice, I've been through a lot of stuff, sexual trauma, drug addiction, a very public and like messy divorce and business split. Like I've been through a lot. And the more I talk about it, I think the more it destigmatizes some of these issues, mental health issues, addiction, recovery, divorce, the more free people in my community feel like they are to talk to me about it, which is great because now we're forging this connection and the better I am able to process it in my own therapy, in my own life. It's been very cathartic for me. Are you ever surprised at how you landed on your feet, so to speak? And I shouldn't say just landed on your feet because you've done incredible for yourself. Do you ever sit back and kind of wonder what if things would have went another way? Like, are you, are you kind of in awe of yourself a little bit or do you always know you are capable of what you're doing now? 
I, I never wonder if things could have gone another way because I know I've always known that I would be okay. And I don't know how I knew that. Maybe it was that I had family support. Maybe it was that I had a lot of confidence in myself and like my skills and my abilities. Maybe it's because I'm just a really, I've always been just a hard worker. And no matter what, I feel like hard work, like Meeks is going to make me be okay. I've always known that I would be okay. I certainly never imagined that Whole30 would be where it is today. I don't often allow myself the time to take a step back and look at it from like a big picture perspective. I don't congratulate myself on it. Um, but when I do, I am really proud of where I've come. You know, we, I just celebrated last week, 20 years in recovery. I hit the 20 year mark. And that was something that like I stopped and paused and was like, holy crap. You know, I thought back to where I was then and how it, it all felt really hopeless and helpless. And I just knew I had to kind of put one foot in front of the other. And now to feel like I'm, I'm living a totally different life. I feel very blessed. Um, I feel very lucky, but yeah, I'm also really proud of myself. I'm, I'm kind of curious coming, coming from that background and from everything that you went through, how, how did the whole 30 really come about? Like when, when was it born in your mind? It was born in 2009 from that two person self experiment. It was kind of like we were, I was really into fitness and CrossFit at the time. And the idea was like, well, what if we cleaned up our diet that last like 20% and really did this very squeaky clean approach for 30 days? What would uh, happen to like our training and my recovery? And over the course of those 30 days, in summary, what that experience highlighted for me were all of the ways that I was using food, like I used to use mm -hmm. drugs. Right. I was using food as punishment, as reward, to self-soothe, to relieve anxiety, to comfort myself, to show myself love. I didn't know. I didn't have any other coping mechanisms at that point. And it was such a powerful experience for me that in the absence of those foods that I would use for those purposes, I didn't know what else to do, that it permanently and profoundly changed my relationship with food. And it really was the catalyst for me to start all of this therapy, this journey that I've been on for the last 10 years to try to help me develop those skills and like unpack all of that stuff. How, how would you say the, the whole 30 has evolved? Because I know like what it is today is not the first attempt that you did at this. You, you had said earlier, like you had to, you had to write a lot of stuff. You had to give a lot of stuff away, kind of testing material, almost the way like a, a comedian would test jokes before they actually charge money for the show. So when you finally were like, I'm going to package this as like a thing, how has that thing evolved since the first iteration? Yeah. So it's interesting that you asked that. I like that question a lot. The rules of the program themselves actually haven't changed much. Mm. Um, they've changed in that the food that we eat today, the landscape has changed a bit from 10 years ago. 10 years ago, we didn't have cauliflower pizza right. um, or plantain chips. So some of the rules have changed, but like the foundation of the rules are the same. What has really changed quite a bit as I've evolved is that I was so incredibly dogmatic in the beginning of Whole30. It was like, you do the absolute best. You make always the best choices. Every single moment of the day, there are no excuses. You know, we all have the same 24 hours. Um, and then I went through all of this therapy and I learned empathy for myself and for other people. And then I became a mom and realized that like good enough is good enough 95% of the time. And so now the approach, while the Whole30 is still very strict in its rules, black or white, and I still do have a little bit of a like tough love approach, it's way heavier on the love. And I have a lot more compassion. I'm a lot less, um, I'm a lot less likely to let perfect be the enemy of good. And I'm very much preaching now, like just let good enough be good enough, right? If you're microwaving an Applegate hot dog and some leftover sweet potato on a plastic dinosaur plate for dinner, you are doing just fine. Love it. Is, ex is exercise, because I've wondered this about you because it's such a passion for you. And by the way, you're a damn hard worker. 
I can attest to that uh, firsthand. Is exercise going to be a part of the whole 30 at some point? And if it is, when you hire me, am I allowed to give out IWTs to your community? <laughs> oh my God. No, 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 no. I wouldn't be like, you give me an IWT anymore. Every once in a while out of the blue, he'll text me and be like, hey, Mo, so when's the last time you did an IWT? And I'm like, sorry, wrong number. I don't know who this is. <laughs> He's still trying to train me. Um, so I don't ever want exercise to be a mandatory part of the whole 30 because it is hard enough just to change the food you put on your plate for 30 days. And also from a habit research perspective, the brain can't really handle two equally important competing goals at the same time. It's why so many New Year's resolutions fail because people make 10 goals and none of them get done well. So for the Whole, you know, program of the whole 30. I want you just to focus on your food for 30 days. What we do is offer people options. So if you're used to exercising and you want to maintain the routine, here's what you can expect over 30 days. Or what happens very often is people do the whole 30 and by week three, they're like, Oh my God, I have so much more energy. I'm sleeping better. I have more self-confidence. I have like, I feel like I want to do something else. What else can I do? And we send them to various fitness places. You know, if you want to start doing a yoga program, if you want to start doing an at-home workout program, here are some options for you. But it will never be a mandatory part of the Whole30, no. So one thing I do want to flush out with that, though, is you and I have very similar beliefs when it comes to exercise at the root of it. I work out twice a day because I love it. If I want to go easy, I go easy. If I want to go hard, I go hard. I don't care about getting PRs all the time. And if I do, I do. I don't, I don't. I'm a lot looser with my exercise than people think. I'm not about crushing people all the time. And I love that about your philosophy. And I think if more people embraced that, we'd have a much fitter society, if you will, where it's just like, this is something I do because it's fun. You've got so much to offer in that regard. And, and I get the sense from you, you have a genuine heartfelt desire to help people. Will you do an exercise book for people to give them advice? Like, hey, I'm not going to tell you you have to exercise, but if you are, here's some of the stuff that I believe. Yeah. You know, I talk a lot about um, the idea of just showing up, right? My success in the gym doesn't come from the amount of weight I lift or how long I work out or whether I score that PR. My success is, did I show up today? And it kind of doesn't matter what I do. I'm a, per I'm a healthy person with healthy habits if I show up consistently. I've been doing for the last couple of years what I call my year of strong and bendy. So there's a lot of mobility, a lot of flexibility. There's some gymnastics, there's yoga. I'm still powerlifting. I'm still doing kettlebells and calisthenic work. And it's like this weird hybrid. And a lot of people have asked if I would like release some kind of program. And, and Brandon and I have talked about it quite a bit. I think a video series could be really cool to get people started. Um, so yeah, that is something that I've, I've definitely thought about. I think it would be fun. You know, and I love hearing that because I actually had a podcast about a week ago. I was somebody, on somebody else's podcast and they said, what's the secret to my success? And I said, showing up yeah. day after day for 26 years. Like, I don't have a magic program. I just, I, I just show up. Switching gears a little bit. You've been through hell and back. You've built this business empire. You're killing it. You're a mom. So you are handling COVID like a pro, aren't you? <laughs> I love I love that you assume that I have my shit together 24-7. You know better than anybody that literally <laughs> nobody does. I don't know if we can say the S word on here. Sorry. Oh, um, no, no, no. We love bad words. Yes, okay. yes we do. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't drop F-bombs anymore in public, but I'll say shit. Um, you know... <laughs> 
I, all of the therapy that I've done because of all of the stuff I've been through in my life is serving me really, really well. Now I have come to realize that it is not the situation that makes me stressed. It is my response to the situation. So I can look at all of this chaos happening here and I can choose to respond in a way that accepts what is and then just makes the best of it, right? All right, yeah, I miss my gym, but I'm just going to move into my cold, dirty garage and do my workouts. And it actually gives me a little bit more time with my kid at home. Okay, my kid's underfoot a lot more. You know what? Like another half hour on the iPad so I can get my workout done is not going to kill him. He'll be fine. Um, the days where it does feel hard and I feel overwhelmed, I just talk about my feelings. I'll talk about it with Instagram. I'll talk about it with Brandon. I'll call my sister. Sometimes I think it just helps to get it out, right? The other day I was on Instagram, like, I know this is ridiculous, but I'm feeling X, Y, and Z. And it just helps me to say it out loud. Um, and I also think that falling back on my healthy habits is really, really important for me. So knowing that every morning, even if I'm in a really pissy mood, I get up, I take my cold shower, I get into my gym and I do my little workout and I do my meditation. Like if I can get those things in my day done, it really sets me up for a better mindset for the rest of my day. Has this messed up your business or is it business as usual? Because recently, I shouldn't say recently, you're not traveling the world doing seminars week after week after week. You're not in the middle of a book tour promotion right now. Has this messed up your business? Is it, is it, or has it in a way helped your business? Because I was thinking about this the other day, the one good thing that's, there's a lot of good things that come of this and there are some bad, but family dinners are back on the table. People are making food from scratch. There's a bunch of people. I was raised by my Italian grandmother and beaten. If I didn't cut spaghetti straight, I know how to cook from scratch. A lot of people didn't have that skill because they were raised with TV dinners. Is, is the interest in the whole 30 peaking right now because people actually have a chance to do it? It's funny, you know, we're actually doing really well because, and this was before, so we're going to launch a group Whole30 on April 13th, a worldwide group Whole30. We just decided two weeks ago that we were going to like pivot super hard and offer this as a resource for the community because I had so many people in my DM saying, I'm leaning so hard on what the Whole30 has taught me right now. You know, it gives me a good foundation. I know I'm nourishing myself from a place of self-care. I have more energy. I sleep better. I'm calmer. I'm in a better mood. I'm more patient with my kids. Um, I don't have the sugar crashes and the highs and lows. Like for all of those reasons, I'm coming back to the Whole30 now. So, you know, we have, the, we want to be a resource for people, whether you're doing a Whole30 or just navigating your food freedom during this time. We've got a new webpage set up and special hubs. I'm creating more resources now that and I have in a long time for each of those groups. Um, we're bringing partners in to kind of help support. So we're really coming together during this time. And like you said, we are home more. The opportunity for family and to get family in on the cooking. There's less social pressure for things like, you know, eating out or drinking. So that can be a really positive experience too. So we're really encouraging people to lean into it. For people that are struggling business-wise because... You had to hustle, you had to travel, you had to make hard decisions, um, you had to take risks. People that are struggling right now, do you have any advice for them? Especially for people that want to be, I don't know whether to call it an internet, internet entrepreneur or an influencer or to do the whole digital thing. Do you have any advice for people at this time? 
It's really hard. It depends on the industry that you're in. Obviously, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you're working for yourself, hopefully you're agile enough to be able to look at your community, see what they need and pivot. So, you know, if we were focusing super duper hard on things like book tour and book sales, which I was in January, that's not happening right now. So what else can we do? You know, what other partners can we work with? What kind of community resources can we offer? Even if we're not making as much we use this time to just continue to provide support to our community and to be like a resource um, and to be a, a kind of calming, grounding voice amidst all the chaos. Partnering up with other like-minded businesses to join forces too might be a really great opportunity. So, you know, if you're a fitness brand and you've got experience with doing online training, can you partner up with a local wellness clinic or a local MD who maybe can't see patients in person, but wants to offer this service to their clients? I think there are a lot of opportunities during this time, but at the same time, I also don't want to put a ton of pressure on people who are home uh, with their kids, trying to figure out homeschooling, trying to run a business and a household at the same time. Like, I'm really sensitive to that message of like, well, if you don't come out of this pandemic with like a new skill or a side hustle, you're doing something wrong. And it's like, no, some of us are really just trying to survive. And that also has to be okay. So I would encourage people to try to pivot if you can and find new areas of resource. And also, if all you're trying to do during this time period is like get through it gracefully, let that be enough. I was talking to a good friend of mine, Viet, the other day. I don't know if you know Viet Fan. I do. He's a, he's a good chef. He, he stood in my wedding. He's one of my very best friends. And he's got a heart of gold. And his restaurant is doing better than it did now than before COVID. He's cut his hours in half and he's serving twice the amount of food. Yeah. And so he's doing really well, but he's felt a feeling of guilt associated with that, that so many other people are suffering. Do you suffer from that as well? Because I know you have a heart of gold. You want to help people. Is there a part of you that feels guilty for doing well financially during this time that your business is doing good or you just chalk it up to, no, I, I made my business decisions. I was able to pivot and away we go. So I don't feel guilty because I feel like that that emotion is not helpful in any way. Uh, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't have anything to like feel bad for. But with the success that we have also comes a sense of responsibility to now help as many people as we can. So can I order, you know, I did not realize that I could get Pretty Bird um, for takeout. So maybe I'll, you know, hit Viet's restaurant up. My friend Nick Gradinger owns Vessel Kitchen and we're trying to get takeout from them once or twice a week now just because they're trying to keep their doors open and they're doing this awesome no contact delivery. I'm trying to support local businesses. You know, I, we've been helping whole 30 years out in the DMs for weeks now who, you know, need a little bit of help with meal planning or a butcher box or, you know, whatever. So I don't feel guilty about it, but what I do feel is a sense of obligate, not even obligation, just like joy in being in this position, meaning that I can then go on to help other people in our community. And when you say we, you have a whole <laughs> bunch of people in the in the whole 30 that are helping you do this. Because I can't it's, imagine you answering everything on your, maybe you are. I don't know. So on my personal Instagram channel, the Melissa U channel, it's just me. You are only okay. ever going to talk to me. Nobody else gets in there ever. But I do have a whole team on the whole 30 side who handle digital and social. And in the DMs, we have coaches who step in and help out. So we have a lot of people on the whole 30 side who are connecting with people in the community. Yeah, I have not so let my I, kid take over my DMs yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if I, if I slide into your DMs, I'm going to get you. I'm not going to get somebody yeah. else that says 
you know, what's an IWT, for example. You should know that because of the level of shit that I give you in my DMs. You should absolutely know <laughs> no, that's, that it's me. That's, that's <laughs> true. I got I to gotta tell you a funny parent story. Um, I told my 11-year-old, he asked what was going to happen. And I told him if we didn't get our asses in gear, we were going to lose our house and be on the street. And he needed to step up and work. So he's been my personal assistant. So he answers text messages for me. So one of the guys from 10,000 uh, was texting. He wanted a logo and stuff. And uh, my kid goes, yeah, this is beans. I'll make sure my dad gets to it. Because by the way, do you guys have, and I didn't read this till later. He goes, do you guys have any extra small clothing? Uh, or sorry, he asked what sizes they had for him. And Brian from 10,000 said, well, we have extra small and my kid wrote back, what kind of man wears extra small? <laughs> and so Brian, Brian wrote back our CEO and our creative director. And Beans wrote, poor guys. I was like, oh you're fired. You're done. No, your son is a PR nightmare. And no, no. <laughs> no, I, I, I've never really thought about it before because I'm very open with my oldest. And, and he's 11. But how do you deal with that with a, with a kid? You know, his school did a really good job of kind of preparing him. He came home one day and he was like, yeah, we're not able to go outside and like meet my friends right now because we're, we all don't want to get coronavirus. And I was like, okay. So like, they've given you a little bit of a heads up. Um, you know, we try, I try to keep things as like normal as possible for him. Uh, I feel like he picks up on my energy a lot. So I just try to keep things like super chill. And when I have my moments of like freak out and panic, I definitely don't do it around him. We keep his schedule as normal as possible. It's really simple with things like, you know, I want to go to the playground. It's like, buddy, we can't go to the playground because unfortunately playgrounds are closed because that can spread the germs. And he said once like, well, I'm not afraid of getting sick. I don't think that kids get really sick. And I'm like, I know, but you could get sick. And then if you passed it to like grandma and grandpa, they could get really sick and we don't want that to happen. So we have to be responsible. So we're talking about it. We're not pretending it doesn't exist but at the same time I'm trying to keep things just as like normal as I can for him are you really open with him about stuff or do you try to shield him from things no. it's a question I, I ask parents now because I chose with my son to be just super open a long so time ago and tell him everything I'm pretty open. I'm not saying things like lots of people are dying. Like I'm not kind of giving him the statistics on the, you know, horrifying death toll in, in New York city or anything like that. But, you know, I'm being pretty open that like, it could make people really sick. If you're older, like grandma and grandpa can make you really, really sick. So sick, you have to go to the hospital. We really don't want that to happen. Also, if you get sick, it's not going to feel really good. It might feel like there's like a big dog sitting on your chest and that's not going to be super fun. So we're going to be really careful. And I mean, I'm open to a degree, but he's only seven. So he doesn't need to know like the worst of the worst, right? I also have a lot of control. It's not like he's 13 or 16. I have so much control over where he goes and what he does now. Um, so, you know, I'm setting some guidelines that are reasonable and just like not making a big deal out of the stuff that's a little bit different. Does that scare you as it gets older because of the information world? Do you know what I mean? Like at, at, at some point he's going to figure out who you are. He's going to figure out that you have a book. He's going to figure out that the whole 30 is a, is a, is a thing. And in five years, you know, who knows where you'll be. Um, does it scare you as he gets older as a parent? Because so it's a little, it's funny. We'll go into Barnes and Noble now and he'll go, Oh, Hey mom, there's your book. Like he doesn't know, he doesn't know what it means, nor does he care. I mentioned like, we happened to watch a segment I had done on Dr. Oz together. Like it was on my computer and he's like, what's that? And I was like, Oh, that was the time mom was on this big TV show. And he was like, all right. He like, doesn't care. Right. If I'm on, like, if I do a guest spot on like the power Rangers show, he will pay attention, but <laughs> Dr. Oz or Oprah, like he wouldn't care. 
um, we, you know, and actually we don't even say his name in public, but you know, I've kept him off all of social media. You will not find him. We don't say his name. We don't show pictures. We don't, I like, don't talk about him in specifics. And that's because I have such a public life that I want him to be able to sort of, um, choose his own level of privacy as he gets older. So I don't want him getting to be 13 or 14 or 15 and being like, Oh my gosh, I'm in every photo you've ever posted on Instagram for the last 15 years. It was just a decision that Dallas and I made together. I don't know what's going to happen as he's going to get older. Right. I couldn't have predicted some of the technology we have now four years ago. So who knows what it's going to look like then. Um, we're just going to do the best we can, I think, together as co-parents to figure out like when is the right age for some of this stuff. And I really want to just keep him in sports because I feel like the more he's in sports and outside and hiking and camping and climbing, the more he's going to be interested in that outside stuff and the less he's going to be super like addicted to his phone. I don't know. That's just how I'm hoping it's going to work. Does he eat the way you eat? Or I mean, how do you handle that? Because that's a question I often get from parents that I don't know how to answer. Yeah, I get that all the time. Like, how do I manage my kids? Mm-hmm. I don't have a ton of street cred in this area because he's always eaten the way that I eat. So it's he's I did not have to wean him off of like McDonald's and sodas and candy. He grew up eating, you know, bone broth and avocado and seaweed snacks. Um, as he got older and got into school, I had to deal with other people's food for the first time. So he'd go to the you know birthday party and he'd want to eat the cake or pizza. The way we handle it is just he doesn't have any serious allergies, nothing like that. No gluten or dairy issues are going to like really impact him. So when he goes to the birthday party, we let him make the choice. And it's really funny because I'll notice that he'll eat like one piece of pizza and then he'll go, pizza doesn't make my belly feel super good and he won't eat a second one. Um, so, you know, he does fine. I don't, it's not really a big deal to me if on special occasions, he kind of has a little bit of like whatever, because I know what we're feeding him at home. I'm going to try you really think, hard. To, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, do, do you think that he He's just more aware of that where like other kids aren't going to draw the connection between what they eat and how they feel just because he's around you. Yes, because we, I actually, we've made that connection for him a Mm -hmm. lot. So when he was a baby, he had eczema and we used to say to him growing up, I would love for you, like you can have the pizza, but if you eat the pizza, you know, dairy makes your skin itchy. And if your skin gets really itchy, you're not going to be able to go swimming. And I know how much you love to swim. So we drew this connection to him. You know, he would eat too much sugar at a birthday party, come home and have to be in a timeout and we'd be like, I think sugar makes you cranky. That's why we don't do sugar after bedtime. So he'll go into the pantry for a snack after dinner and he'll be like, this is too sugary, but can I have some olives instead? So we made that connection for him, um, which I definitely think helped. Do you have any advice for uh, picky eaters out there, like kids that are picky and parents how to handle them? Because I, I'll tell you a funny story. I can say it because she's not in the room right now. When Lisa moved in, I was a single dad with Landon for a, a, a while with beans. And he doesn't like candy. He doesn't eat chocolate. He doesn't drink soda. But at the same token, no broccoli, no carrots, no. And I think it's a texture thing. Like you can actually make him a shake. I used to put chicken breast, carrots, spinach, fish oil in just a shake and he would drink it down. It's something about the texture, but he won't eat hard food. And he is defiant. Like if he doesn't want to eat something, he's not doing it. So Lisa told me that her kid was never going to eat like that. And that it was, you know, her kid was going to eat what she wanted. Fast forward, 
about a year ago, I watched Lisa picking out rainbow marshmallows from a box of Lucky Charms to make Jack's a bowl of marshmallows because he's the same way. He's going to eat what he wants to eat when he eats it. So your parents out there, you're trying to do the whole 30 thing with your whole family. How do you deal with picky kids? Because that's a question I get and I don't know yeah. how to do it. There's a lot of research into this and there are a lot of people out there on Instagram who are doing this subject way better than I do. But I know that you generally have to offer kids food like seven or eight times before it becomes familiar enough for them to try it. So just keep offering is one piece of advice. Um, Trying different presentation. When he was younger, my kid wouldn't eat um, an olive on a plate, but if I stuck a toothpick in it, he would eat them all day long. So you could try different dressings or different sauces. You could try different cooking techniques, sometimes raw, sometimes roasted, sometimes steamed, sometimes mashed. I try really hard not to make mealtime a battle. So, you know, presenting the food, like this is what it is, um, and serving things on the plate that I know that he likes, and then inserting some new stuff too. I don't like the idea of like, you have to eat just one bite or you just have to try it. Cause again, that can turn into like such a clash of wills, especially if you have a stubborn kid, but you know, giving them different choices. I try to have things in the pantry that like, no matter what he picks, I'm okay with him eating. And then just understanding that like they're, you know, younger and their tastes are changing a ton. So what they don't like now is it's entirely possible that three days from now, they're all of a sudden going to be a fan. So that reoffering thing I think is really important. Do, do these tricks work on adults? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, nope. Does Lisa not cut your sandwiches into little star shapes or anything? <laughs> no, I actually, I actually have this thing. If you don't cut your sandwich in diagonals, you're a horrible parent and your kids okay. get beat up at school. But no, no, no. I was curious because I am shocked at the difficulty. Obviously, being a fitness professional, I give people some diet advice. I am shocked at what adults are not willing to do when it comes to diet. Like they're not willing to have red meat. They're not willing to have fish. They're not willing to eat organic. Do these are there tricks for adults? Like, is it the same as dealing with children or? So sometimes it's like either childhood associations with food. Like if your mom made Brussels sprouts and always overcooked them and you just associate them with like really, you know, stinky, tasteless food, you can try different cooking presentations. Um, I don't tend to argue with people a lot. People are like, I don't eat red meat. Like, okay, well then I want you to eat chicken and rotate through your fish and eat some eggs. And like occasionally if red might, you know, if red meat like suits your fancy, go ahead and eat some because it's got some really good micronutrients in it. Um, or if people are like, I don't like broccoli. I'm like, fine, don't eat broccoli eat any other of the, you know, green or cruciferous vegetables. Um, a lot of times what happens is that people's taste buds get so burned out on super normally stimulating food. So if you're used to eating sugary, salty, fatty, crunchy things all day long, of course, like roasted broccoli is not going to be that appealing, which is one of the benefits of a whole 30. You know, when you take that stuff away for 30 days, your taste buds change really fast. And I have people who are like, oh my God, these strawberries are the most delicious thing I've ever tasted. Or I can't believe how sweet this sweet potato is. Once you kind of reset your taste buds. So that's another alternative is, you know, for people who are like, I just don't like any vegetable. Um, you know, maybe it's because what you've been eating is like Las Vegas in your mouth and we need to like do a little reset so that you can appreciate the really delicious flavors and whole foods. I like that. I do have a question for you. This is uh, off topic. Uh, we're kind of getting to the end of this thing. If there was a person hypothetically that you knew, say a guy, uh, reasonably handsome, well-built, really fit, 
had wrote one book, uh, had a, had a, had a growing Instagram following. What business advice would you give that fictional, completely fictional person? He sounds like a winner. So it sounds like he has a lot going on, which is fantastic. Uh, I just, I would just continue to advise him to like, listen to his community and serve his community. You know, um, I'd also continue to advise him to know his own voice and know his own niche. So a lot of times I think as people grow, they feel like they have to become all things to all people. And that's where your voice gets watered down so much that it's no longer appealing. You lose the people who are listening to you for you. And the people that you're trying to bring in really don't find anything like concrete of value in your messaging. So, you know, stay true to your own voice and keep understand that like you're going to have this kind of niche crowd, which I think can really, really serve you. And then just keep listening to your community. Even going so far as to ask them what they need. Like, what do you need from me right now? Um, if that person were, for example, during this difficult time frame, to release a series of at-home or body weight workouts for free on their website, as I believe someone did, that might be a really great move, you know? Um, was is it a garage? Still, is this still a hypothetical? No. So I actually, I actually had a, had a whiskey-fueled dream last night about body weight IWTs. Do you think that's something people would be interested in? Um, how, like with sprinting or something? Oh yeah. Like I have a whole system now of body weight IWTs. I see by your face, you're not interested. You like to try them out. <laughs> Some people we might out, be, right? I know. What did you just say? You've got to focus on your niche. you got to know, focus on your crowd. You ruined me for the Airdyne like forever. <laughs> I will never get on another Airdyne ever again, thanks to you. Um, but I think that would be really, really fun. Yeah. You know, people are looking for really creative ways to stay uh, fit and to stay accountable and Definitely. I think people like seeing what you do in the gym and they like seeing, they like the idea that they can like work out like Bobby Maximus. So yeah. Are you, are you scared to offend people when you post stuff? Like you post personal things that your, did your mom or dad like get on you? Like, Oh my gosh, how could you say that? Are you worried about what family thinks people in your community think? Because you do talk about personal stuff on your Instagram. You talk about parenting, you talk about, so are you worried about that at all? Or are you just authentic to yourself? And if people like it, they like it. They don't, they don't. So I'm not worried about offending people because I'm always speaking to myself from my own experience. I'm not telling people what to do. I'm just sharing my own experience or what I'm learning from other people in my community. If I do offend someone, if someone says, hey, this is like not okay. And here are the reasons I always take a step back and see if I can find it. If I can find it, I immediately apologize. I do the research. I find out why what I said or the way I said it was really insensitive. I figure out how I can do better next time. I apologize in a very sincere way, and then I don't do it again. But I also understand that sometimes it's just how that person is choosing to experience me. You know, you can write something from your own perspective, and it's not about this stranger on the internet, but that stranger will take it very personally. And I have come to realize that that's not about me. It's about them and their own experience and where they are right now. And I don't have to pick that up and carry it. I can be empathetic. I can offer you know, additional resources. I can go into a little bit more detail about what I did mean and try to kind of help them pass this like point of defensiveness. But in the end, that's not mine to carry. And I guess finally, where are you going from here? What is, what is Melissa Urban really? Oh, I already know the answer. She's going to do the whole 31. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know, I've been talking about the Whole30 for 10 years now, and I definitely still have more to say on it, but through my podcast and through my Instagram channel, I'm starting to talk about so many more other things. I'm talking about relationships and self-care and empathy and addiction and recovery and trauma and, you know, entrepreneuring and work-life balance and all of that stuff. And so I really want to continue that conversation. I feel like it's very tangential to what I do at Whole30. Um, the Whole30 provides a great foundation for looking at some of these other topics. Topics, and I like connecting with the community in that way. So I l- would love to continue talking more about my own kind of fitness routine. Um, and then, you know, maybe eventually some kind of like, I don't know, my publisher's been talking to me about writing a memoir. Mm-hmm. And that feels super weird and really heavy. But at the same time, it could be kind of cool. So that's oh, something Melissa, I'll, I'll tell you just... From what I know of you, and and I've been a fan for a very long time, and obviously getting to spend this past hour with you, you're uh, a great spokesperson for mental health therapy, right? Like you've had a lot of help along the way, and clearly it's working because you are one of the most impressive people that I've had the pleasure of meeting. Um, Something we talk about a lot on this podcast is kind of trying to figure out like, when when is it time to say, I need outside help? What advice would you give somebody who's maybe struggling with mental health issues, maybe struggling with things in their life about understanding the difference between no, you can handle this and no, you should probably go get some help? I don't, I don't think there's ever a reason that you have to handle anything by yourself. I love the idea of getting into therapy before you need to be in therapy. We all have things we can unpack. We all have personal growth initiatives that we you know, could begin and how wonderful would it be to have a relationship with a therapist so that if the shit does hit the fan, you have a relationship with the therapist and you can kind of jump in and hit the ground running. I never want there to be any sort of stigma around therapy. I think therapy is a wonderful practice. You know, it's so helpful to have someone with experience to be able to listen to you and guide you through this stuff. A lot of these things are way too big to unpack on your own, but if you can't afford therapy or you have barriers to therapy right now, for whatever reason, you can also just open up and talk to a trusted friend or family member. There's something really powerful in dragging what you've been kind of hiding out into the light and getting it out there. And I think that could just be a really great first step. I think that's a phenomenal answer, but I think that's also like why uh, uh, Melissa Urban Memoir would be very worth reading. Thank you. I appreciate that. It feels it feels definitely a little intimidating. And also, I'm like, why would someone want to read 300 pages about my life? But um, but it, it could be really cathartic, I think. Question though, is it really that different from what you've already shared? Because you've been really personal on your Instagram. Like I feel it's kind of funny. I know you, but I don't know you. Like, it's not like we spent months and months together. It's not like we went on vacation together. It's not like you're over for dinner every single weekend. Um, but I feel like I know you on level because of the way you talk on your Instagram. So have you not kind of already done that? Like, could you have an intern just pull stuff from your Instagram <laughs> But I know it, I, not that, that would be the most authentic thing, but the information's already out there. A lot of it is. Yeah, a lot of it is. And then there's more, you know, there's more stuff that I think I would want to like kind of talk about or share related to my trauma, related to my divorce. And I'd want to do that in a way that wasn't sensational, that didn't bring other people in and unnecessarily hurt them. But in a way that kind of explained, I think, a little bit more of like my path and some of the things that I've learned. But yeah, I have, there's really nothing in my life at this point that I've been through that I haven't talked about everything from like that one time I got an STD to, you know, my divorce and very public business split. So yeah, I guess it kind of would be like a just expansion of what I've done on Instagram already. 
Is is there anything that's in the works that you can tell us about? Any like bombshells you can drop? Any spoilers you can give us? Any exciting things? Let's see. Yeah, I mean, come on, we're no. trying to grow a podcast. You can give us something. Yeah. <laughs> is this where I drop that I'm like pregnant or something? Right? I'm not. Oh my gosh, I'm not pregnant. Um, well, you know, it's funny because some of the things that were in the works are not in the works right now because of the pandemic. So some of the projects that I had, you know, I was going to be doing a really cool cooking segment with a large television network. And like, that's not really going to happen right now. We're kind of holding off on that. And so a lot of my speaking events and stuff have been canceled. So I don't have anything super exciting because everything is so up in the air, but, um, but I'll let you know when I do right now, we're just really trying to provide support to the community and make sure that everyone feels grounded and seen and heard during this really difficult time. I love that. Where can people find you if they don't know who you are? And then I have one last request. Okay. So you can find me at Melissa, you on Instagram. Um, and everything whole 30 is just at whole 30 W H O L E in the number 30. All right. We need you to start a TikTok. Oh my gosh. I, you know, I'm mildly obsessed with TikTok. I've been playing no, with it for weeks. I think you'd have a great TikTok account. So you really? You I, I, I might, we might, I might do some stuff for the whole 30 in April. Um, just some like fun kind of duet styles. I don't think I'm like the dancing TikTok girl. That's not really my jam, but I know, I think it could be really fun. I've done a few TikTok videos for some of our partners. Like I did one for Chipotle in January and it was like so fun. I know maybe I will. Do you have a TikTok? I actually, I do. And I started doing TikTok dances today. No. I think <laughs> just today he did. So, so. <laughs> So funny enough, um, Melissa, this is interesting. The 11 year old, he's smarter than, than like, I think sometimes. And he came up to me and he said, dad, you need a TikTok account. And at the time I said, what's a TikTok? He goes, no, it's this thing. Like everybody's on it. I go, well, can you explain it to me? He goes, really old people are on Facebook. Kind of old people are on Instagram. TikTok's the newest thing. All the kids are on it. And I said, well, why would I be on it if kids are on it? And he goes, dad, one day these kids are going to grow up and they're going to need exercise now. And I was like, Oh, he is a hundred percent ahead of the curve. Cause that's why we want to get on TikTok because there is a whole new market out there for whole 30 years. People who like love whole, don't yeah. know about whole 30 or have heard about it and want resources, but don't want to come to Facebook on it. So I think that would be really fun. He's very smart. Maybe Beanie could run my TikTok account. Maybe he could help me manage it. <laughs> he the thing you gotta watch with him he likes bad words a lot Ooh. so that might be he's a yeah. as you said he's a as joe he's a pr man back yeah he is. <laughs> the 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 other thing is i gotta tell you guys he uh was a little anxious one night he's worried about covid and so i told him that the government was lying to us and that the people that died from COVID were to actually come back as reanimated zombies. And that's why we're all in quarantine. So him and the three-year-old spent last night in the backyard wrapping barbed wire around baseball bats, trying to make weapons <laughs> for when the, when the zombie apocalypse. You don't on your TikTok. You don't want him near your whole 30. He's cool. a little guy. Cool. Okay, great. So he's not hired. Um, that's, and your parenting skills are unparalleled. <laughs> yes, I'm going to look at your TikTok now for sure. And I might, I might text you later to make fun of you a little bit, but I do think a TikTok account is in my future. I think it's inevitable. Your first dance is going to be either the Savage Dance, that's by Meg Thee Stallion. I'm going to do that tomorrow. Or 
the two C slide by break. Those are the two I want to see from you. Okay. All right. Duly noted. I'll take requests. <laughs> I think it would be good. So anyway, it's been a pleasure having you. Thanks for making time. Um, yeah, and we you. do have to catch up. I do want to put an offer out to you. Um, I have a big garage. Uh, I don't know if you can see behind me. It's a full gym. I know. It's fully equipped. If if you feel like coming over with a mask and, and staying six feet away, we can do a park IWT. Just um, come over anytime. We'll get that done. You know what? I'm so missing the idea of a full gym that I might do an IWT just to get in that garage. <laughs> I do. I do. There's an Airdyne behind me that, that's got your name all over it. We Gross. can do Airdyne L. We could do an all out minute. We could do IWTs. It'll just be, it'll be like the old days. Only if you stand right in front of me and scream at my face. Just like the old Joe, days. <laughs> Joe, I went through a face. It's hard to believe, but I used to yell at Melissa a lot. So. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. That was so fun. Nice to see both of you. Likewise. Oh, it was. Because you're the last of a dying breed.